today. Darkness for the prisoners to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour and the day of vengeance of our God. To comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion. To bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes. The oil of gladness instead of mourning and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendour. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Verse 8 For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness I will reward them and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness, as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. Whereas the soil makes the young plant come up, and the garden causes seeds to grow, so the Sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. So by arriving late, you sh- I'm sure they were praying very hard this morning. <laughs> anyway, I arrived just in time for the confession, uh, so I was able to say sorry for getting all my timing wrong this morning to the Lord. Uh, I, I realised as I was literally driving on, I thought, something doesn't feel right. Um, so I actually stopped uh, and checked all my details to find out to my horror that uh, I thought the service started at half nine and that was my timing and it started of course at nine so my apologies for being late uh, but it always has that good knock-on effect on prayer life so let's pray now and ask God to speak through his word Heavenly Father, speak to us now by the power of your spirit that in our lives and our life together as your church we may be more like Jesus Amen So our theme this morning is this magnificent passage from Isaiah chapter 61 with that lovely picture there and uh, the core to mission rebuilding the ancient ruins. And and, and the word that I'm looking at behind all this is that word transformation. Because I believe that that passage is all about being transformed and becoming transformers. Now my mother-in-law is getting quite elderly now and so every few weeks she comes and stays with us for a few days. And just about all she does is is watch television. So when she's with us, uh, we are subjected to these most horrendous television programmes. 
and uh, they, they seem to go in phases and at the moment it's, it's all um, uh, antiques uh, but she's gone through a phase of it all being cookery although she hardly eats anything I don't know why she, she does the cookery programs uh, but of course then there's all the makeover programs isn't there and, uh, and it seems as if as a society we can be obsessed with, with this idea of, of makeover so um, what was it DIY SOS well, yeah, they'll come in and, and totally transform. And, uh, and, the, and this poor couple who uh, supposedly know nothing about this come in to their totally revamped home and look round with horror on their faces and say, oh, yes, that's very nice. <laughs> and uh, I suppose it's good television and quite cheap to produce. But, of course, then there's the, the personal makeovers that people have. It used to be Trini and Susanna, didn't it? Now it's Gok. And, uh, and people go to great lengths, don't they? To try and change who they are and what they look like. Even to the extent of, of nip and tuck surgery. Now, I know you'll be surprised to know, but I have not had that done. <laughs> I, I know that's hard to believe, but, but it is the truth. Um, it, it's amazing, isn't it? But I, I believe it, it shows something about humanity. Uh, and particularly the way our society is driven by the media to make us dissatisfied with what we are and who we are and, uh, and there's a, a wrong side to that because it drives people into consumerism uh, I think it leads to all sorts of problems particularly for our young people but there's also a truth within it isn't there because somehow within all that the, the advertisers and, and, and all the others have, have latched into part of our human condition which the Bible calls sin the, the fact that we aren't actually all we should be uh, the, the, the phrase that often comes in the translations is, is falling short of the glory of God uh, and there's that sense in every one of us that, that through the circumstances of our life we've been messed up and, and, and God comes to heal us and to transform us. Another aspect of this in our society is the fact that in our society everything has to be instant, doesn't it? Uh, you, you've noticed this, of course, I can see it on your faces. Uh, but it's the now generation. We want it now. And so when young couples buy houses, they, they will go into terrific debt so they can walk into this, this magnificent palace. Whereas in the past, in, in more like our era, we, we used to kind of take over um, quite run-down houses and do them up, didn't we? That, that seemed to be the way. And, and to put up with not having the very best of everything from the beginning, but work towards that. But today's society is not like that. And so everything is now. And, and, and it's the same with information, isn't it? Instant information texting, emails, all of that. And we get very annoyed and frustrated, don't we, if we can't have everything now. I'm at the moment in dispute with Orange over my internet because they are being very slow on getting things sorted out because I'm infected by this instant now as well because it gets to all of us. So does it get to the church? Well, there's a sense I think sometimes it does. Uh, and when we talk in terms of, of following Jesus and discipleship and our lives being transformed to be more like him, we can be tempted to think that that can be an instant act. 
that uh, as long as we read this latest book that's got the answer or, or go to this, this latest conference then suddenly everything is going to be transformed and I'm going to be super saint yeah of course we know really don't we that the Christian life doesn't work like that that the path of discipleship of becoming more like Jesus is a very slow one and a very hard one and there's a strange sense in which the closer we get to him the more we realise we aren't that close to him after all yeah one of the marks of the saints has been their sense of unworthiness and their sense of sinfulness because they've got so close to God they realise how sinful and unworthy they are so how does this relate to the passage that we have this morning well we have a very interesting situation in Isaiah 61 uh, it's based around the time of the, 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 the captivity in Babylon where the people of Israel has, have been transported hundreds of miles uh, that, that, that phrase in that psalm uh, we sat down and wept when we remembered Zion all, all, all that and, and so when in Isaiah 61 it talks about being broken hearted we, we can literally picture them there singing songs of Zion remembering Jerusalem which is now a broken heap of ruins and they sat down and wept and this passage I think mirrors in many ways the state of our society today because as I see our society I see a lot of brokenness a lot of families broken apart a lot of individuals broken apart a lot of people who sit down and weep I wonder how many people tonight as they go to bed in this community their pillows will be wet because of their tears we live in a, a hard and difficult and broken society the passage talks about being captives uh, because they're in a foreign land and, and there is that reality isn't there of, of, of the problems of, of immigrants being dislocated because we live in that sort of world today very similar now they, they were forced to do that that the Israelites that, that was part of, of, of the way cultures when they took over they removed all the key people so there could be no rebellion so there was that forced captivity and yet I think many people in our present society feel that as well but, but there's another form of captivity my, my last church was in Blackpool and I came across many captives captives to all sorts of addition, uh, addictions all sorts of drug addictions sexual addictions all sorts of problems and people were literally locked in to a whole way of thinking and behaving from which they could not escape and their lives were in ruins it talks about prisoners in this passage in Isaiah and uh, again we can apply that literally the idea of being in prison but I think one of the greatest prisons today in our society is the prison of loneliness Mother Teresa talked about it being an epidemic in western society and I think she's right I come across many many lonely people 
I remember when uh, I was first in this diocese four years ago and we'd had back to church Sunday uh, and there was this dispute when new people come to church do you shake their hands or not? and, and one church warden uh, more or less said no I did that to someone new and they just burst into tears you see it was the first human touch that person had had for weeks weeks when the church warden shook her hand we live in a very strange society where there are acute levels of loneliness and then that, that final phrase about mourning the sense of loss when I was a curate in South Yorkshire we once did a, a flower festival uh, and we centred the flower festival all on the theme of healing and as people came around we suggested well if, 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 if the theme is healing we ought to have some people on hand to pray for healing didn't we? logical and, and so there we were and, and we, it was a five day flower festival and we used to get 5,000 people coming through and the healing team never stopped praying for people throughout the whole of the festival do you know what they were praying about more than anything else? grief and as a society we do not handle grief well and there are many people who are locked in their grief and their mourning and have not managed to come through it to a wholesome position so, so although this passage talks about the Babylon captivity all those many many years ago I think it also describes many aspects of our society but there is no quick and easy fix to rebuild the ruins of either individual lives or of societies it talks about the broken hearted and it says that God will bind them up it doesn't say he will magically mend the broken heart but he will bind it it's like when, when uh, bones are broken you, you bind them so that they can heal naturally well that's the picture of the broken heart God holds the heart together so it can begin the healing process it's not saying he'll wave a magic wand over it it's also about the captives finding freedom and of course they did didn't they they returned to Jerusalem but it was a long and arduous journey of hundreds of miles over very difficult terrain no instant transportation Star Trek style no a hard long journey and, and, and this whole process of discipleship of rebuilding ruins is a long process it talks about the prisoners released from the darkness but we know don't we that like with the Chilean miners when you've been in darkness and suddenly face the light you have to acclimatise gradually to the light otherwise you can't take it uh, and, and it has those lovely phrases about those who mourn just about comfort and of course the, the whole idea of comfort is being, means simply bringing strength being alongside and bringing strength uh, and it talks about a crown of beauty rather than the ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning a garment of praise instead of despair and becoming oaks of righteousness a symbol of great strength and then of course it talks about those ruins 
been rebuilt. The devastated places restored. Ruined cities renewed. Of course, those processes take time, don't they? I, I live in Walsall. And uh, even when they do roadworks, my goodness, the time it takes. So rebuilding on those levels is a lengthy process. But do you know what is interesting? Who does the rebuilding? It says they will rebuild the ancient ruins. Who is they? Well, the they is the people whom God has restored. The broken hearts of the captives, the prisoners and the mourners. They will rebuild the ancient ruins. And God calls us into partnership with him to be transformers. Not, not because we're great, but because the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon us. And of course, that is the passage that Jesus chose for his manifesto. When he chose that in Nazareth to read it in the synagogue, and as he closed the scrolls, he said, Today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. Because at that point, they wanted to stone him because of what he was claiming. But what he was saying, because the spirit of the sovereign God is upon me, I am the fulfillment of these promises. And of course, that same spirit of God is here for us. And we continue the work of Jesus. We, the ones who ourselves in our own lives are, are broken and captives and prisoners and mourners whom God restores, we become the ones who rebuild the ancient ruins, who become restorers of others and restorers of society. Now just a, a word about this word transformation. I... Um, I had a bit of holiday this last weekend and I went to see uh, Bob Jackson, the retired Archdeacon of Walsall. I'm sure some of you will have come across Bob Jackson on uh, different occasions. And, and he, like many clergymen, uh, likes trains. And uh, so when I went to see him, I, I said, uh, Bob, I must see your train set. I, I always say that to upset him because, of course, it's a model railway. It's not a train set. And, and it always gets him every time. So if ever you want to upset one of these kind of train fanatics, just, just talk about a train set rather than a model railway. Gets them going always. Anyway, up we went to the attic and there's this magnificent layout of this model railway. And what's it powered by? Electricity that has been through a transformer. This is the interesting thing about the word, isn't it? Because what it's done is it's taken 240 volts, which is quite dangerous, and transformed it into 12 volts. So it's nice and safe. Now, I think the danger in terms of the church and the Spirit of God is if we're not careful, we can take the power of God, which actually can be quite dangerous, and transform it down to something nice and safe that we can cope with. Is that church? Well, it can be if we're not careful. I think we need to be very sure that, that we don't do that, that toning down of the truth. We don't make God tame 
and manageable. See, I think that people in today's society are searching for a real spirituality, true spiritual life. And sometimes what the church offers throughout the country is this anemic version of the truth. So, I can say this because I know this is where you are and aiming, but our worship needs to be real, doesn't it? Worship in which we allow and encourage the presence of the Spirit of God. Worship in which we experience the living God and He touches our lives. And that's transforming. Our teaching needs to be based on the truth of the Scriptures, not just nice platitudes. I can remember hearing a sermon on litter picking. Yes, God didn't get mentioned, I think, once in that sermon. Shocking, isn't it? Our teaching needs to be based on the truth of the Word of God because it's the truth that sets us free not pandering to the whims of present society. And then our discipleship needs to be challenging. I know you're talking about 24-7 discipleship, aren't you? Well done. I think this is what the churches need to be looking at. Our discipleship is not for the, the religious bit of us that comes to church, and if we're keeny in our fellowship group, our discipleship, our following of Christ, is for every single part of our lives and if our Christianity if our following of Jesus is on those lines then we become the ones who ourselves are restored and transformed and become agents of transformation in the society in which we live so as we come to the final bit Two or three things just to finish with. Firstly, God's transforming spirit is for everyone. That, that's, I believe, one of the, the key things that Jesus taught and did. That the, the religious people in Jesus' day, the equivalents of the dog collar, had it all nice and neatly sewn up. You had to be, be good and religious and do all the right things to earn God's favour. And Jesus said, rubbish. God loves everyone the same. And of course he showed it, didn't he? But by mixing with all the wrong, in the religious point of view, type of people. But in God's perspective, all the right type of people. And he shared the love of God with absolutely everyone. That was the great scandal. That was why... One of the reasons why the religious leaders got so upset with him. And again, our churches need to be places where God's love is open for everyone. Where we don't see the person, but we see what the person could be. Remember when, when Jesus saw Simon, his disciple? What did he call him? Peter the Rock. Now, Simon, by character, was anything but a rock. But that's what he became in the early church. And God doesn't look at, us, look at us as we are. He looks at what we can be. And I believe that we as the church must enter into the eyes of Jesus 
and see every single person who comes in through that door. Not as they are, but as God sees them. And as they can be. Once they are rebuilt and restored. And and, and I I can say this to you again as a church, because I know you work very hard on your welcome, don't you? And, and, And you made sure that in as many ways as possible, you are a welcoming church. Continue to do that, because I believe that is the very heart of God. But it's not simply those who come through the door. It's actually, in our true discipleship, it's those we meet all over the place. Those with whom we work. Those who who, who we shop with. Those who we're in community with, in leisure with. Those who live near us. Those two are the people who God loves. And he looks at them, not as they are, but as they can be. And our Christianity, if we are to genuinely be those who rebuild the ancient ruins, we've got to have an impact upon our communities, not simply by inviting people in, as important as that is, but actually by connecting them with the love of God wherever they and we may be. You see, God can change communities. God can change workplaces. Jesus called it being salt and light in society. And it's not about being a great evangelist and preaching at everyone and pinning them against the wall and telling them they're a sinner. That, that tends to be a little bit negative, by the way. It's by living the life of Christ 24-7, wherever we are. And there's that lovely phrase in 1 Peter 3, always be prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that you have. And if we live our lives as those who have been restored and are being restored... That will show, and people will say, what is it about that person? And and you're sat there thinking, well, yeah, but they'll not think that about me. Well, actually, if that's your attitude, you are more likely to get them thinking that about you. I worry about the people who go around thinking, I'm a wonderful Christian. People are going to really see Jesus in me. Oh, not. Yeah. So, So if you're thinking... Oh, I'm not sure about this. That probably qualifies you more than anything else. But it's all dependent on us consistently receiving the transforming love and power of God in our lives. We can't do it ourselves. And so let's commit ourselves afresh today to being those people who will allow God to be transforming us, bit by bit, to be more like Jesus. Let's commit ourselves afresh today to receiving and welcoming those who come in these doors and accepting them into the family of God. And let's commit ourselves today to being God's transforming agents in the world in which we live. Someone said recently, we might not be one of these great Christians that transforms the world, but actually we can be 
ourselves and transform the world of which we are a part. And that is what God asks of us. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. May that same Spirit be upon each and every one of us to transform us and the world in which we live. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, we thank you for your word and thank you for your promise of your Holy Spirit. We come before you now, today. And we say, come Holy Spirit, touch our lives afresh. Thank you for all that you've already done. Thank you for all that you are doing. Come and do more of that transforming work in us. Change us to be more like Jesus. And may we be such a body of Christ here that just as Jesus welcomed all people, so may we welcome all that you sent to us and see them through your eyes, through your transforming love to what they can be. And Lord, wherever we find ourselves this week, in leisure, in work, in community, in family, may we be your transforming agents of love. Not because of our greatness or goodness, but because the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon us. Come, Holy Spirit, do your work in us and through us. In the glory of Jesus. Amen.